0: I once asked a student if it felt like he was getting in trouble for things that he really couldn't control. And the look on his face made me understand that just like me when I was his age, he really didn't have those impulse controls. And he truly felt like he was getting in trouble all day for things that he had no control over. And that feeling and the feeling that I felt and the feeling that some of you might have felt when you were going through school is why I set up my classroom in a way that truly allows students to be successful, even if they're the wiggly ones. This episode is brought to you by the free elementary music newbie guide. We all know that you can't learn it all in four years, but the sad reality is that many new music teachers don't feel prepared for the elementary music classroom. In this free guide, we'll work through four of the most important things when it comes to being successful as an elementary music teacher. To grab your guide, head on over to thatmusicteacher.com newbie. Again, that's thatmusicteacher.com slash N-E-W-B-I-E. You're listening to That Music Podcast with Bryson Tarbin, the curriculum designer and educational consultant behind That Music Teacher in the Elementary Music Summit. Each week, Bryson and his guests will dive into the reality of being an elementary music teacher and how music can truly be transformative in the lives of the students you serve. Show notes and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at thatmusicteacher.com. Welcome back to that music podcast. Today's episode is one that is near and dear to my heart, and it is all said in love. As I can honestly say, in school, I was always that wiggly kid. So, today we're going to be talking about what to do with the wiggly kids, how to make sure that they are set up for success, how to make sure that they feel like they are a part of our classroom, like they can actually do what they need to do, and like they can feel like they can be who they are while also getting the curriculum done. And that is really the balancing act that we are constantly fighting as teachers, is how do we, you know, be understanding of our students? How do we understand that everyone is different, everyone has different approaches, everyone's going to have different reactions to things, this, that, and the other thing, but how do we also, at the end of the day, teach music? And that's what this episode is going to be about. So if you don't know, a little background about me, I have sensory processing disorder and was diagnosed with ADHD from a very young age. So I'll be the first one to say I was kind of a mess in school. I was always all over the place. I was the one that, I mean, the amount of times I was referred to as bouncing off the walls has to reach some sort of crazy limit because I'll be honest, I was not able to control my body a lot of the time, i the impulses, the impulse control was not there, and it was was a struggle. And I remember those teachers that made me feel, even though I'm sure I was real irritating, that those teachers who made me feel like I could be a part of that class and those teachers where I felt like whatever I did was going to be the wrong answer. The first thing that I want you to kind of consider if you're you're sitting there thinking, okay, I have these Wiggly kids, I would love to make them more accessible, make my classroom more accessible for them. I would love for them to be more successful. But how do I do that? The first thing that I would kind of challenge you to do is take a look at your your lesson plans. How often, or how, you know, how often are you moving? How often are you changing locations within your classroom? How long are you asking a student to stay on task or stay on one particular task before you move on to something else or give them more direction? Part of this is my own personal background, but part of this I think is my background in the preschool world. I move around in my lesson a lot. We are constantly, constantly doing things, and we are kind of changing from one thing to the next. And I don't mean that in a way that's like we are overwhelmed. But I know that if we're spending 20 minutes on a game or activity, I'm going to lose some kids. And quite frankly, when those type of kids that you're going to lose, me included, those are going to be the ones that are really going to ramp everything up. And then that's when you're going to have those classroom management issues. So in my lessons, I, I might spend five minutes on a song. Now, I'm not saying that's all we're doing, but I'm, or, you know, that, you know, we're doing a thousand things. But what I am saying is, you know, if we're going to be doing some part work, we might do five to seven minutes of part work or, you know, doing some dictation on the board, but I'm also doing things to bring people back in to you know, refocus in uh, what you know I'll talk about later. Um, but then as soon as we do that, as soon as we do that kind of high stress, high focus activity, we're moving into something else. We're moving from one place into the room to another. We're moving in to make a circle to play the game. We're doing something so that it isn't just, all right, we just did all this lesson at the board. Now we're going to do it in a worksheet. No. I love moving around the room. I love creating movement into my lessons, but also just moving the activities. I'll be the first one to say I'm incredibly blessed in my classroom that it is massive. So I have the opportunity to basically be able to shift the learning zones so that it's not just the kids sitting in front of the boards or the kids sitting in front of my chair or the kids in a circle or the kids standing up. Like, I'm able to move it around. Like, if the kids are looking a little wiggly, I might even say, even if it wasn't in my plan, all right, now we're going to move over and sit in front of my board, chalkboard, or hey, let's everybody sing the song and clap the rhythm as you go over and sit in front of my chair. And what that does is, one, it allows the kids to move, like physically change the location, but it also resets their focus. It kind of puts the... um the bookends a little bit to kind of say, all right, this is something new, or this is this is a new level of focus. Um, I'm going to get a little dorky here for a second, but if you, any of you have ever watched the um, the show Lost, it's kind of like putting in those numbers and then the whole world doesn't blow up. Okay, that might have been a weird thing to say, um, but I think it's one of those things where if you if you're shifting your focus every once in a while, and again, this might be my ADHD brain. But by shifting the focus in our lessons, it allows our students to really shift their focus back to the lesson. So we're not getting those, you know, people, kids that aren't really paying attention that are really don't know what's going on because, you know, the lesson was just, it went on for too long and they lost focus and they weren't listening. Beyond that, another thing you can do in your classroom is to think about the sensory needs of your students. Um, And I want to be perfectly clear. and get on my soapbox is that sensory needs are real needs. Again, if somebody is with sensory processing disorder himself, sensory needs are real. I mean, think about (laughs) it, they're real. (laughs) I'm just going to put it there. Um, But some of the ways that I make my classroom accessible to those students that might have sensitive um, uh, sensory needs um, is one, I never turn all my lights on. I have, again, I'm very lucky in my classroom, I have these giant windows. I don't need all those fluorescent tube lights. I hate them, so I leave half of them on, half of them off. And the kids know it. I've literally done this since my first day of teaching and the kids, they don't care. Um, Because if I turn the lights on all day, honestly, they bug me. They're too bright. We have that sunlight. I don't want to deal with the... um the light bulbs. So I don't turn them on. Another thing that I do is I um, have some fidgets that the students are able to use. I know that that is a thing that it can cause a lot of chaos. So I'm going I want to talk about fidgets in a second. Um, but I really think that allowing students to have access to some fidgets can be really helpful for those students that might need it. What I'm not saying is that fidgets aren't abused. Um, I am still traumatized by the fidget spinner era, um, but I truly believe that there are some students that having some sort of fidget in their hands can is is... is can really just be the difference between them being successful or not in your classroom. Um, some of my favorite fidgets are the little marble in the tube, kind of like, um, you know, just the marble trying to get in the mesh tube. Um, you have the rings that kind of interlock. The tangle, that's one that me personally I love to use. Um, what are some other ones that I love to use? Um, there are some great ones like the monkey noodle. I love those. Those do get a little crazy because they're essentially just a, um, a jelly worm. So kids like to like swing it around. So it becomes the whole thing. Um, but there are so many different fidgets out there, um, depending on the tactile needs of a student. Um, and the way that I use them in my classroom is honestly, I have a bunch and I let anyone use them. And I know that that's chaotic and yes, it is chaotic, but eventually the the novelty wears off and the kids don't want to use them. But the kids that... Do use them and found success because of them. They're still going to use them, and I'm very clear with my expectations. Says, hey, these are not toys. These are tools to help us focus. If they are getting in the way of your learning or others, we're going to have to put them back. And I literally, I I lay down the law and I hold them up to it. If they're swinging around the monkey noodle, guess what? They're done with the monkey noodle. If they continue to make choices or make poor choices with the fidgets, they're done. But I think that. I would rather be able to set students up for success and have to tame down some chaos as we implement them than to just say, no fidgets, period, and those students not get the help they need to just access our curriculum. Another thing that has really changed my classroom is having access to over-the-ear headphones for students that might get overwhelmed by the intensity or the just sheer amount of sound. Um, Especially if you're doing something like recorders or glockenspiels, that can be really intense. I mean, I I have earplugs that I wear when we're doing things like that. So I actually have I think 10 sets of over the year headphones that if a student wants them, they can wear them. And again, it's the same thing like the fidgets. If they're getting in the way, we're not going to use them. But And eventually, the novelty wears off for those that were just kind of doing it for the clout. But those students that were really being helped by it still have access to it. And what I love about doing fidgets and headphones and things like that, where they're there for everybody, is we're not singling anyone out. We're not saying, Johnny, you need some headphones because you're overstimulated. We're saying, hey, if you think it's too loud and you're getting, it's kind of getting a little too much, grab some headphones. It's just, it's modeling that acceptability of neurodiversity. And I, for one, am absolutely here for it. Let's talk about breaks for a second. There are some times where 40 minutes in such a high sensory input Thing like the the music classroom is not going to be the most successful time for a student. So every once in a while, I might send a student on a break. Um, sometimes the student might ask for it. You know, maybe that's something they've been working on and they, they're able to get to advocate for that break. But sometimes, I'm just looking like, ooh, I think we're getting a little overstimulated. I think we might, I think we might need a break. Sometimes I might say, Hey, can you go get a ream of paper from Miss Cindy in the office? Um, and one, that's some great heavy work, but also it just gives, it gives them a task. It's not saying, Hey, I need you to go take a break and calm down. It's just, Hey, can you go do this and come back? Um, you know, I have some students that, like I said, they, they're learning to advocate for their own breaks. Um, so if I say, you know, if I kind of see them getting frustrated, I might go over and say, Hey, do you you know, do you want to go get a drink real quick? And that allows them to kind of leave for a little bit, kind of reset set, kind of refocus in and come back in and kind of restart it. Um, that's something that I'm really thankful that my school is really good at is that we are understanding of, hey, if a student comes to you with a mystery envelope that says this is very important, sometimes that student might have just needed a little bit of a walk. That student might have just needed a little bit of a task. They might need might have needed to leave the classroom so they can come back and be successful. And that's something that I think we need to do in the music classroom, too, um, especially when we're able to. Obviously, if this is a student that likes to elope and just kind of peace out, that's a different story. We don't we would. We don't want any unaccounted kit for our kids, but also just understand that sometimes kids just need a break. I'll be honest, when I sat down to create this episode, I, I don't know. I'm just kind of thinking back to myself as a student. And like I said, it was a rocky road and there was a lot of learning. And honestly, there's still a lot of unlearning now that, you know, had things been different when I was in school and had things been set up in a way that i was able to access certain strategies and fidgets and things like that early in my in my education things might be different and i you know like i said in the the story at at, at the top of the episode is you know, this student really was struggling with impulse control they were really distracting other cl- people in class they weren't able to be in their own spot they were making sounds they were jumping they were moving they were running but when I looked at them in the eyes and I asked, do you feel like you're getting in trouble for something that you can't control? The the shame that I saw on his face broke my heart because I felt that before. And sometimes we have students that are being frustrating because they want to. But sometimes we have kids that are being frustrating, but they don't know how to solve it. And that's why I think it's important for us to take steps to break down the barriers to accessing our curriculum whenever possible. And I know we have so many students. I know it's hard to juggle this without any other thing. But I look at that student and I think about me as a student and so many other people who just need a little bit of support and then they're able to be absolute rock stars. If you found this episode helpful, I would love if you were to tag me on Instagram at thatmusicteacher, share a screenshot of you listening to it, um, share it with your music teacher bestie, and if you are extra awesome, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps me kind of feel, you know, who, who's listening to the podcast and what types of episodes we want more of. Um, as always, you can reach out to me, hello, at thatmusicteacher.com, and I can't wait to see you next week.